0: Let's bow before the throne of God once more. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, you taught us in your word to think on things that are true, that are pure, that are lovely, that are worthy. And Lord, your word is true and pure and lovely and worthy. And we ask during this time as we open your word together, open the honeycomb together to gather honey, your living and active word, your beautiful word, that you would come and work change in our minds and our hearts, Lord, that you would help someone here today who may be brokenhearted, that you would fill places that are empty in us, that you would work grace and mercy toward us. We thank you for being our faithful God, and may we walk out of this place later today moved, perhaps challenged, encouraged by your word. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for this time that we have already enjoyed in worship, and may you be glorified, honored, and magnified in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the book of Daniel, if you are joining us for the first time today, or if you haven't been here for a while, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had become utterly convinced that his Babylonian God, Marduk, was supreme over Israel's God, Yahweh. Because after all, the Babylonians had come in and they had besieged Jerusalem and they had carried off plunder from the Jerusalem temple and they had captured people from the streets. In the thinking of Nebuchadnezzar, Marduk had decisively defeated Yahweh. And any claim that Yahweh was the supreme God was... Complete and utter nonsense in Nebuchadnezzar's thinking. Meanwhile, the Israelites who found themselves exiled to Babylon, no doubt wondered at times where Yahweh was. Where was God? Had had Yahweh become disinterested in them? Had he left the scene? Well, God spoke into this entire situation through his mouthpiece, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 through Isaiah chapter 55 is a section of Isaiah that affirms that in this situation of exile to Babylon, Yahweh, God of Israel, was still very much on his throne, still ruling as king over human affairs. Ruling over every human being throughout the entire world. And in that section of Isaiah, there is an especially powerful expose, or an especially powerful unmasking of the impotent Babylonian gods. So as that long section of Isaiah begins, Feel free to flip around with us in your Bible. As that section begins, Yahweh issues a series of rapid-fire questions. Questions that are designed, we need to note, designed to assert, to emphasize His sheer, unmatchable greatness. The great truths that are trumpeted in those verses are these, that no one comes close to matching the power of our God. And no one has understood God's mind. And no one has instructed God or counseled God. No one has ever enlightened God on any matter Whatsoever, No one has been God's teacher. As one commentator put it, God has no need of our schools. And God cannot be likened or compared to any one or any thing. He is transcendent and he is altogether supreme over all. And in that same 40th chapter of Isaiah, we also have verse 26, which actually would be a a crucially important verse for Daniel and his three friends to hear as they were being forced, forced in their Babylonian college program, remember the three-year program, they were being forced to study the astrology and the star worship of the Babylonians. So Isaiah 40, verse 26, declares the truth of the matter. And the truth is that in fact, Yahweh, the true God, created all the stars. Yes? The stars have been made by Yahweh and the stars do the bidding of Yahweh. The the stars are not divine. The stars are not worthy of worship, as the Babylonians thought, Rather, the stars were created by the one, the true God, Yahweh. And so the verse reads as follows. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Who created these? These are created, these stars. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, yes, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. This is our God. And throughout that section of Isaiah, The idols of Babylon are described time and time again throughout this whole section as powerless, helpless, lifeless, and a complete farce. Babylon's gods could not predict the future, nor could Babylon's gods even tell about the past. Babylon's idols, Isaiah says, are carved, listen, are carved out of part of a tree. While the other part of the same tree, get this, is used to burn so that the idol craftsman can have his lunch. The idol craftsman burns part of the tree and he worships the other part of the tree and it is all completely senseless. Says God through the prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah 46, Isaiah chapter 46, the last uh, reference there on the screen, there is a particularly stinging rebuke of Babylon's gods. Isaiah there paints a picture of the Babylonian gods Bel and Nebo. And the picture is that Bel and Nebo are more or less um, imprisoned up there somewhere while their wooden golden representations the idols are down on earth and those idols are being carried around from place to place on beasts of burden and also carried on the shoulders of human beings because those dead idols cannot move themselves And there are Bel and Nebo seemingly helpless up there somewhere. They can't reach down and move the idols themselves. And while Bel and Nebo's idols have to be carried around, Yahweh of Israel says in Isaiah 46, 3 and verse 4, He says, I am the one who carries you, my people. And friends, this section teaches us something very important. And I hope you have digested it and know it and believe it today. That God, Yahweh, God is God over all the earth. Isaiah 54, 5, the God of the whole earth he is called. And so there, Isaiah, what's he doing? He's reaffirming what God had said way back in the Exodus, when God had said in Exodus 19.5, all the earth is mine. And even earlier in Isaiah, in 14.26, Yahweh says, this is the hand, my hand, that is stretched out over how many nations? All the nations. Yes. Praise God. (laughs) I don't know if that guy's praising. (laughs) Friends, know this morning that God is the sovereign ruler and king over all the earth and all its inhabitants that he has created. God is not confined to any single territory. This is the God. Remember this. This is the God who not only allotted, gave territory, gave land to Israel, he also allotted and provided land to Esau, to Moab, and to the sons of Lot. And he told Israel not to touch those territories. Deuteronomy chapter 2. This is the God who not only brought up Israel out of Egypt, He also brought the Philistines out from Kaftor and the Syrians from Kir, Amos 9, verse 7. This is the God who not only delivered Israel from their hard master, Egypt, in what can only be called an inverted exodus, Yahweh also delivered Egypt from their hard master, when Egypt cried to the Lord, Isaiah 19. He is the God over the whole earth, yes? He is the God over all nations, sovereign over all, supreme over all, the true God, the one we've come to worship this morning. Now, you're wondering, where's Daniel? We've been in Isaiah. Well, we've been journeying, haven't we, journeying through the first chapter of Daniel, and although much has been said in this chapter about Daniel and his friends, King Nebuchadnezzar, Ashpenaz, the chief court official, we keep getting these these little, what I would call firecrackers in the text that focus our attention, friends, on what's really going on. Namely, that God is at work. Yes, God is sovereignly, steering the ship. We remember Daniel 1 verse 2. The Lord was the one who gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. As as we said, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's supersonic missiles, his state-of-the-art tanks, his fighter jets, his trained military personnel. It wasn't any of those things that secured the king of Judah into his hands. No, the text says that it was the one sovereignly ruling above Nebuchadnezzar who gave Jehoiakim into his hand. And Daniel 1, nine. Had it been Daniel's charm, Daniel's... Good looks, his likability, that Ashpenaz, the chief Babylonian official, had seen sized up, causing Ashpenaz to treat Daniel favorably. Was it something he saw in Daniel? No. The verse says, reading again from the New Jerusalem Bible. God disposed the chief officer, Ashpenaz, to be kind and compassionate toward Daniel. God was on the scene there in Babylon in the very heart and mind of this pagan Babylonian official causing this guy to treat Daniel kindly and to treat him with compassion. Can we see how God even on Babylonian territory, was sovereignly and steadily at work, turning human affairs to fall in line with his divine designs and purposes. Can we see that? Well, what if COVID comes back with a vengeance? What if Vladimir Putin does this, or Xi Jinping does that? What if the climate disintegrates altogether? What if I'm simply priced out of a mortgage or my rent? I wanna ask you, does anything at all anywhere happen that is outside of God's ultra wise, unhumanly attainable <laughs> plan and purpose? Is God still on his throne? You can answer that. Is, is God good? Yes. Is God far wiser than any of us and all of us together will ever be? Yes. Is the God of Isaiah 40 through 55 still the same God today? Yes. And do we trust him? Amen. All right, so now we're turning to our preaching text. (laughs) The last five verses of Daniel 1, right away we have yet another statement about God being supremely, sovereignly at work. Verse 17. As for these four youths, as for Daniel, notice the Jewish names are used here. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. What happened? How did they get so, how did they get so smart, these guys? God gave them, note, learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now remember the story. Daniel and his three friends had been agreeable, hadn't they, to this three-year Babylonian college program. That's not where they drew their line. They had gone ahead and they had learned the Babylonian star charts, the Babylonian methods of reading sheep livers, They had studied omen texts. They had studied the ancient languages used by the Babylonians, the Akkadian language and the Aramaic language. And through all of it, friends, through all of it, God, we need to see, God ensured that learning and skill and understanding for these boys came from him. God gave. As these young guys studied this pagan wisdom in Babylon, God made very sure that he formed and he shaped their intellectual growth. All glory went to God. Whatever competences these four obtained, Babylon's educational system could not be given credit. Yes, only God could. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. This is a a great example here of what James tells us in James chapter 117, when James says, how many good gifts and how many perfect gifts come from above, right? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from who? From the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to to change. Indeed, friends, it was God's goodness. As Dale Ralph Davis has put it, it's God's goodness that attended, surrounded, and prospered their work, and so explained their success. All glory and praise went to God for the academic success and the growth in knowledge of these four young men. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's aim, what was Nebuchadnezzar's aim? His aim was to socially re-engineer these four young men so that they became Babylonians, in effect, who ate Babylonian food, who gained Babylonian knowledge, and who spoke the Babylonian language, and who worshiped Babylonian gods. If Nebuchadnezzar had his way, he'd like Daniel and his friends to simply forget about their defeated God. But God had not been defeated. God had other plans, and his plans overruled Nebuchadnezzar's plans. And again, we need to remind ourselves, the notices in this chapter just shout all this, don't they? God gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. God gave Daniel and his friends the kind, the compassionate disposition of the chief Babylonian official. God made sure that Daniel and his friends on their fruit and vegetable diet appeared healthier and more robust than the other youths who were dining on the horse meat and drinking the Babylonian wine and now God gave Daniel and his friends their competences and their intellectual vigor and God worked all of this friends he worked all of this effortlessly effortlessly in keeping with his purposes for his world God was triumphing here and we need to know this morning that God always triumphs did you know that God always try. He is triumphing right now in 2023 in your life, even if you can't see it. The end of verse 17 tells us. Oh, I'm way behind or I'm way ahead. (laughs) Sorry, let me go back here. Yes, there it is tells us that Daniel in particular, so Daniel amongst the four men, had understanding in all visions and dreams. Of course, Daniel's God-given abilities here are going to become very important in chapter 2, okay? Um, Just as the Spirit of God, notice, as the Spirit of God worked through Joseph, when Joseph interpreted the dream of Pharaoh, on Egyptian soil, Genesis 41, so the Spirit of God through Daniel is going to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream on Babylonian soil. But for now, we'll come back to that in coming weeks. Let's move on now to verses 18 and 19. At the end of the time, so that is at the close of the three-year Babylonian college program, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in the chief of the eunuchs, so this is our chief official Ashpenaz again, brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. So there they are, before the king. king is presumably sitting on his throne. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. Now notice very carefully, friends, that last sentence of the verse Therefore, they stood before the king. I think probably a more helpful uh, translation of this sentence is the one that we have in the New American Standard Bible. They entered the king's personal service. Or, New Jerusalem Bible, they became members of the king's court. So the idea here is that Daniel and his three friends now are given official jobs in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Now, I want you to ponder this with me for just a minute, okay? Think of this. It was these four guys who had contravened Nebuchadnezzar's orders, right? By refusing to eat his food and drink. And we suggested last Sunday that their refusal Among other things, we suggested three different things that are probably happening there. Why did they refuse? Their refusal of Nebuchadnezzar's buffet for one thing was a way of saying, we won't enter into a covenant with Nebuchadnezzar. Our covenant loyalties are with Yahweh, king of the universe, and not this human king, Nebuchadnezzar. They had carried out that very risky refusal. It was a risky refusal, but they carried it out. And now it's these four young men who are promoted to Nebuchadnezzar's personal service. And we ask, how in the world (laughs) has this happened? Well, it's happened by the overruling, super ruling hand of God. Yes, God is the one, friends, who gave Judah's king into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. God is the one who made Ashpenaz favorably disposed to Daniel and his friends. God is the one who ensured fatness of flesh, a healthy countenance in these boys as they ate their asparagus. God is the one who gave intellectual vigor to these boys, and now it is God who installs them in the Babylonian court so that his mercies and his glory can go international once again. Now, had this whole entire situation been very hard for Daniel? You bet it had. It was not easy in any way to be a teenager and to be extracted out of your homeland and dumped into Babylon and forced to do this and to do that. But God's work, listen, God's work was higher. God's work was bigger. God's wisdom for Daniel's life, and I want you to hear this, God's wisdom for Daniel's life operated on a far higher plane than Daniel's wisdom for Daniel's life. God's wisdom for your life is operating on a far higher plane, and God is good, than your wisdom for your life. I wonder if you're going through something trialsome, something very hard right now. Listen to the glory of this. Again, Dale Davis, he's taught me so much from God's word. He says this, I have it on screen. Sometimes God may allow hardship to reach us because he wants his mercy to reach beyond us. One more time. Sometimes God may allow hardship to reach us because he wants his mercy to reach beyond us. I wonder, does that ring true in your experience? I know it does in mine. Sometimes God may allow hardship to reach us because he wants his mercy to reach beyond us. God leadeth true, I will not question. Though through the valley I shall go, though I should pass through clouds of trial and drink the cup of human woe, God's way is best, heart. Cease thy struggling to see and know and understand. Forsake thy fears and doubts, but trusting, submit thyself into his hand. Let's go to verse 20. And in every matter... Didn't matter what the matter was. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, and here comes some good ancient Near Eastern hyperbole, he found them 10 times better (laughs) than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Now Nebuchadnezzar, he was quite familiar with all the skills and the knowledge of his Babylonian astrology staff. He knew the abilities of his Conjuring department. He knew all about the capacities of his engraving and inscribing wing, where his engravers and his scribes meticulously recorded all the movements of the planets. But here come these four young lads from Judah. (laughs) And Nebuchadnezzar, we could say, his mind is completely blown as he sees the wisdom and the learning in these four teenagers. They are 10 times better than his Babylonian staff. They are miles ahead. They are markedly, decisively better than the rest. And I ask you again, friends, whose fingerprints are all over this entire situation? God's are. It is God who has done this. friends. See God's work here. Through Daniel chapter 1, take it to heart in your own life and in your own situation. Consider our super ruling king. Imagine the scene. One day Daniel's heart rate soared. Have you ever had your heart rate speed up suddenly out of fear? His heart rate soared and he had a a fight or flight reaction. He was so traumatized now when he saw the Babylonian soldiers on the streets of Jerusalem and they're heading straight for him. There was no escape. He was grabbed by the arms, he was shipped off to Babylon. But God was in full control, even though it didn't appear to be the case. Later on, Daniel found him in a threatening interpersonal situation. Have you ever been there? A pressure cooker. He could not go against his conscience. He would not eat the the king's food and drink the wine. But the Babylonian officials, they're they're standing all around. This This is a pressure cooker situation. When Daniel announced his decision, he knew at that moment that it might be punishment for him or it might even be death for him. But God swooped in, didn't he? And God supernaturally created a favorable and kind relationship with those Babylonian officials. God was in control. All throughout the story of our lives, God, our good God, is in full control. And oh, the pressure when Daniel and his friends had to lay aside the Jewish Torah that they had been raised in and concentrate instead on Babylonian bird flight pattern charts, omen texts, learning all those very complicated symbols of the Akkadian language, God was still in control. God was super ruling, God remained sovereign He gave Daniel and his friends intellectual prowess, wisdom that far surpassed the Babylonian magicians. My friends, in our confusions, are you confused this morning? In our pressures, are you under pressure this morning? In our trials, you need to understand from the word of God that our good God has not left his throne. He never stops working out his great designs and his good purposes, even if we can't see it. I know I sound repetitive today, but this is the message of the word. Now, remember, at the beginning today, we concentrated on Isaiah 40 through 55, a section of scripture that is addressed to Israelite exiles in Babylon, but it also addresses Babylon itself. And there's a whole chapter within that section, Isaiah 47, which is specifically addressed to Babylon. You can open it if you have your Bible. Isaiah 47 is the prophecy of Babylon's disastrous downfall at the hands of Yahweh, God of Israel. This prophecy was given way before this happened. Because of Babylon's unmercy, their unmerciful treatment of the exiles, Because of Babylon's rampant pride and her idolatry and her wickedness, God says in Isaiah 47.3, I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. That's not the kind of verse that you see when you go to a, if there are still Christian bookstores, that you see on a nice coffee mug. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. And it happened, it happened. This 10th dynasty of Babylon, of which Nebuchadnezzar was the second of six kings, eventually disintegrated and was defeated by the Persians. Cyrus of Persia, conquered Babylon in 539 BC. Cyrus of Persia is prophesied in this very section of Isaiah. Our final verse today, notice the final verse reads as follows. I want you to read this carefully with me. And Daniel was there, where? In Babylon, until the first year of King Cyrus, So right here the story hits, I'm going to age myself thinking of a a, a tape recorder with a fast-forward button, right? But it fast-forwards here temporarily, taking us all the way to the end of Babylonian rule, to the first year of Persian rule under King Cyrus. So what this verse is telling us is that Daniel was there in Babylon, get this, for roughly six and a half decades, until Cyrus of Persia came and defeated Babylon. What this verse is telling us is that Daniel was there in Babylon to witness the rise and the fall of a whole succession of Babylonian kings. King Nebuchadnezzar, then King Evil Merodach, then King Nergal Sharetzer, then King Labashi Marduk, and King Nabonidus. Boy, I got through that. (laughs) Friends, what this verse is telling us is that Daniel, the man of God, fragile like we are, the servant of God, outlasted the kingdom of Babylon that had captured him in the first place. It's not by accident that Daniel 1 starts, doesn't it? It starts with powerful Babylon overrunning Israel, right? When God gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel 1 ends right here with Babylon crumbled. Again, by whose hand? by the hand of God through Persia. The first year of Persian rule came at last. Babylon and Babylonian rule was now just a memory and Daniel was then 80 years old. As Dale Davis puts it so well, Babylon, the hairy-chested, macho brute of the world has dropped with a thud in the mausoleum of history. While fragile Daniel, servant of the Most High God, is still on his feet. Well, what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 40 is very true, isn't it? God brings princes like Nebuchadnezzar to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted. Scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them, all he has to do is blow on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble, all glory and praise to our super ruling, good and mighty and faithful God. And so Daniel 1 ends with yet another notice of God's sovereign power over the affairs of human beings. What God said would happen to Babylon in Isaiah 47 happened by the hand of God. Babylon fell, Persia took over. Daniel survived to see the Persian victory. God superrules our reality, and great is his hesed, Great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. We're going to wrap this up. One day, there were some... Boy, this thing is skipping ahead. There we go. One day, there were some pagan magician types from the East, and they were into star charts and astrology. God gave guidance to these magi, by a star, so that they arrived where the newborn Jesus was. And they presented Jesus with gifts. But in fact, the newborn Jesus was God's gift to the world. God so loved the world that what? He gave, you've seen it all through Daniel one, yes, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. The newborn in Bethlehem was the gift of God to the world, to rescue the world from sin and from certain doom. Jesus grew into a boy, and like Daniel and his friends who had astonished King Nebuchadnezzar with their learning and wisdom that God had given them, the young boy Jesus amazed everyone in the temple, Luke 2, 47. He amazed everyone with his understanding <laughs> and with his answers as a young boy. Later in the story of Jesus, he himself declared, didn't he, that his wisdom is greater than super wise Solomon, and anyone who seriously reckons with Jesus in his word remains astonished at his wisdom and his understanding. He is breathtaking, my friends. He is God come in the flesh. Jesus grew into manhood. He turned the world upside down, quite literally. He spoke potent divine words into this sin-sick world. He healed the sick. He was obedient to his Father in every respect, and he was crucified. Had God fallen asleep, how could the death of Jesus be part of God's plan? And we return for a final time to where we started, Isaiah 40 through 55, God's sure and certain prophecies of what was to come hundreds of years later. God's assertion that he rules at all times, my friends, in all seasons, in every way. So in stunning detail, if you've read Isaiah 53, you'll know this, Isaiah 53 in stunning detail depicts the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and its purposes centuries before it happened. it said to those exiled in Babylon, Babylon that the servant, this Jesus, would be despised and rejected by people. Right there in Isaiah 53, that he would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, that upon him would be the chastisement that brought us peace that upon him would be laid the iniquity of us all. Yes, my friends, hundreds of years prior to the cross, Isaiah described a substitute, yes, who would be slain in the sovereign counsel and in the unfathomable mercy of God to forgive people of their sin, Jesus God would personally come into our sin-sick world, Yahweh to the rescue, Jesus Christ, to rescue us when there was no way for us to do it ourselves. We have proven over and over and over again as human beings that we don't know what we're doing. And Jesus comes into the world to rescue us from our sin, from ourselves, from the domain of Satan, and to save us from the wrath of God that is coming on the sin of unbelievers. The good gospel delicious news. The news that we can scarcely wrap our minds around is that God accepts us and declares us not guilty and declares us righteous all because of Jesus all because of his shed blood in our place and his resurrection from the dead. Now, if you're sitting here in this series on Daniel thinking like I so often think, even as I've been preparing these messages, well, I'm no Daniel. Yesterday, I waffled in my faith. I admit to being fearful of drawing a line in the sand, like Daniel did. And sometimes, I think if I'm entirely candid with myself, I don't seem to have a lot of faith like Daniel did. I wonder if this lack in me makes God want to turn a cold shoulder toward me. If that's you, take heart. Take heart in the good news, take heart in the gospel. Even as God is working to transform you, isn't he, into a faith-filled, courageous person, person, take heart that your status in the eyes of God, your acceptance in his sight, is not based on your performance. Rather, your status and your acceptance as God's child depends on his son, Jesus and on the merits of Jesus. It's Jesus who is ever faithful, friends, even when we falter in our faithfulness. The suffering servant and risen Lord Jesus is with us in our weakness. My believing friends, he's with us in our strength. He's with us always. He's always working. Even when we can't see it or when appearances seem to suggest the opposite, He's for us in the fertile valley and he's for us in the wilderness. He's embracing us when we are at our uttermost and also when we are at our guttermost. He who keeps you will not slumber. If God is for you, who can be against you? None can stay the hand of God He is the one who assures us in Isaiah 46.10 that he has declared the end from the beginning, that his counsel shall stand, and that he will accomplish in your life and in my life and in the history of the entire world all that he has promised. God is as firmly on his throne today as he ever was. May we rest in him and may God be praised. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are way better to us than any of us deserve. Your grace amazes us. Your faithfulness toward us is rock solid and we are so thankful. Lord God, as we each go out into this world with our various responsibilities and tasks and conversations, our trials, our victories, may we be reminded of this word that you, Lord, are good, and that you are in control, and that you are faithful, and that you have our good in mind at all times. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.